Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the normal podcast, but exciting news, we have our first supporters on Patreon. So today's big shout out is going to go to Dr. Daniel Ginn, who is a $10 a month patron. Or maybe Daniel Gein or Daniel Jin, depending on what part of the country you're in, you know, OBGYN, <laughs> OB Jin, I don't know, but Daniel, thank you so much for your support. If you want to get a shout out like Dr. Jin or Dr. Gin or Dr. Gine, you can give us a $10 monthly contribution on our Patreon, which you can find at www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Kriogs over coffee. Alright guys, this is Nick. This is Faye. And welcome back to Kriogs over, over Coffee. coffee. Alright guys, so today's podcast will be on breastfeeding. And with us today to talk about this topic, we have Dr. Aaron Cleary, who is a current assistant professor in obstetrics and gynecology at the Warren Outburn Medical School of Brown University, and also incoming MFM fellow at Ohio State. Welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Awesome. So Dr. Cleary is going to be here with us talking about breastfeeding today. Our objectives for today's podcast are going to be number one, to describe the anatomy of the breast. Number two, describe the physiology of lactation. Number three, learn true contraindications to breastfeeding. And number four, counsel a pregnant woman about the advantages of breastfeeding. So Erin, let's start off, I guess, why should this matter to OBGYNs? So this is a topic that I care a lot about, but I definitely think every OBGYN needs to know about and care about a little bit too. First of all, lactation is the natural continuation of the reproductive cycle, and that follows gestation and partuition or having your baby. As experts in women's health, we must be knowledgeable about the entire reproductive cycle. And so from a maternal view, the act and duration of breastfeeding has positive long-term health consequences, including protection from breast cancer, type 2 diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. From a fetal standpoint for the baby, the mother's milk contains everything a baby needs for the first six months of life and is the best source of nutrition. From a public health standpoint, there are substantial economic and health ramifications when it comes to breastfeeding. Infant mortality and morbidity can be improved by access to breast milk. In summary, every patient you encounter, and every person for that matter, was once an infant and may have children of their own. People naturally become opinionated about a topic that has touched or will impact their family so intimately, feeding your baby. And so as OBGYNs, we should be in a position to provide medically factual advice. And I definitely talk to my patients a lot about breastfeeding, especially when they come back in for postpartum visits and even on postpartum rounding. One thing I think that we don't get a lot as OBGYN residents, because you know we study a lot of pelvic anatomy, is the anatomy of the breast. Is that something that you can talk to us a little bit about today? Absolutely. We probably all reviewed this a little bit in our anatomy courses back in medical school, but we should do a little crash course and review some of the breast anatomy. So uh, Nick, we'll start with you. Where are the breasts, you know, in relation to the chest wall? Anatomically speaking, the breasts overlie the pectoralis major muscles on the chest wall. Perfect. And Faye, uh, what do breasts contain? So they contain mammary glands, which are essentially modified sweat glands, and they produce milk. 
Exactly. In women, the mammary glands develop in puberty, but they don't make up a significant portion of the breast until pregnancy. Breast enlargement and tenderness at the beginning of the first trimester is a promising sign of final breast development that is required for adequate milk production. The mammary glands are not the only thing that's in the breast. What else is in there, Nick? Oh gosh, a lot of back to medical school here for me. Mammary glands get surrounded by myoepithelial cells because you need to contract and express milk. Milk kind of drains down the lactiferous ducts into the nipple pores. Exactly. The mammary glands are supported by the connective tissue, including collagen and elastin. And the Cooper's ligaments, everybody remembers learning about in medical school, are what anchors the breast tissue to the chest wall. Faye, do you recall uh, some of the breast anatomy that's on the surface of the breast? So on the surface of the, of the breast, we have the pigmented tissue around the nipple, which is the areola. And this actually serves as a target for the infant, which has really poorly developed vision when they're first born. And so that allows them to find the nipple. The areola or Montgomery glands secrete lipoid fluid, which moisturizes the nipple. And the lipoid fluid also has a scent, which can attract the baby. So although the baby has poorly developed uh, vision at birth, the olfactory system or sense of smell is really primed and ready to go at the time of delivery. It's really kind of amazing how it's all just built up and really like just physiologically makes sense from the smallest portion of it to the largest portion of it all. I totally agree. So do you guys want to talk a little bit about the physiology of lactation now that we remember what the breast is and what's inside of it? Yeah, absolutely. So early in pregnancy, there is a marked increase in ductular sprouting, branching, and lobular formation in the breast. And if we go back to some of the different hormones involved in pregnancy, the human placental lactogen, prolactin, and chorionic gonadotropin, all of these hormones contribute to this accelerated growth uh, that occurs in the first trimester. And then, Faye, can you tell us a little bit what happens in the second trimester? In the second trimester secretory material, which resembles colostrum, appears in the glands. And a woman who delivers after 16 weeks can be expected to produce colostrum. Exactly. And so this is just all hormonally driven. It has nothing really to do with the presence of a baby, you know, on the outside. And it's an important gestation age for you to know about because any patients that have a fetal loss or a preterm delivery may want to know what's going to happen with my breast. Am I going to make breast milk? And then what else happens with prolactin, Nick, or back to prolactin? Blaming everything on prolactin yet again here. There are these highly differentiated secretory alveolar cells that develop at the end of the mammary ducts, and these are all under the influence of prolactin. But during pregnancy, progesterone actually acts to inhibit milk production. Exactly. Faye, can you tell us what lactogenesis 2 is? Yes, so lactogenesis 2... And remember, lactogenesis 1 was the onset of secreting colostrum-like material at 16 weeks, is the onset of more milk production at delivery. So in mammals, it is associated with a drop in the progesterone levels. And in humans, this occurs during the first four days postpartum, where you have your milk coming in by day five. Exactly. Uh, the hormones involved with this are prolactin, insulin, and hydrocortisone. Over the next 10 days, the milk composition will change from colostrum to more mature milk. This no longer is hormonally driven and is driven by the expression of milk. So Nick, what happens if the milk is not removed from the breast? So when milk 
doesn't get removed, Aaron, there's increased pressure in the breast, and that increased pressure overall lessens capillary blood flow, inhibits lactation process overall. And then also, because you don't have sucking stimulation from the infant, you don't get that prolactin being released anymore um, from the pituitary gland. Yeah. What I think you're getting at is the letdown reflex. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So lactation begins when the infant begins to suckle on the breast. And there are mechanoreceptors in the nipple which are stimulated by this action, sending an afferent nerve signal to the hypothalamus via the spinal cord. Again, way back to gross anatomy. Say, what are some of the things that result with that afferent signal with the mechanoreceptors being stimulated? There's two actions, and we're going to see if I can describe this well. So first, there's this on message from the neurons called the oxytocin neuron, which releases oxytocin in the posterior pituitary. And the function of oxytocin causes the myoepithelial cells surrounding the mammary glands to contract. Second, there's an off signal to prolactin inhibitory neurons. And this neuron's job is to inhibit prolactin neurons, neurons from producing or releasing prolactin from the anterior pituitary by turning off the off signal, more prolactin will be secreted. Exactly, yes. Both oxytocin and prolactin are necessary for this letdown reflex. And in summary, the prolactin causes the mammary glands to produce milk, and then the oxytocin causes the myoepithelial glands to eject the milk. What's interesting, though, is that this letdown reflex can be triggered in another way. Nick, do you know how else the letdown reflex can be triggered? Yeah, I feel like I hear about this one all the time postpartum rounding is that all of a sudden like the baby starts crying and there's this letdown, (laughs) (laughs) for lack of a better word, I guess. Um, But yeah, so apparently that the sound of the baby crying can stimulate auditory centers in mom's brain and cause milk letdown. It's fascinating. All right, so I think that kind of covers just very briefly those topics of the anatomy and physiology of breastfeeding and letdown. All right, so I think that brings us to the end of this podcast on breastfeeding. Erin, thank you again for sharing all of this awesome knowledge. And stay tuned for our next episode where Erin Cleary will be talking to us about the true contraindications of breastfeeding as well as how to counsel your patients to breastfeed. Faye, why don't we try and summarize real quick? Yeah, we first talked about why this topic matters to us as an OBGYN. So we talked about the positive consequences of breastfeeding for moms. We also talked about the mother's milk containing everything the baby needs for the first six months of life. And we also talked about how this is actually from a public health point of view, um, there are substantial economic and health ramifications. And of course, as OBGYNs, we're going to be coming into contact with patients who have a lot of opinions about breastfeeding or bottle feeding their babies. We then delved into the anatomy of the breast, and some of the major things that we covered includes the fact that the breasts overlie the pectoralis major muscles. Mammary tissue develops beginning in puberty but doesn't make a significant portion of the breast tissue until pregnancy is achieved, and the mammary glands get surrounded by those myoepithelial cells. The mammary glands are supported by connective tissue and anchored to the chest wall by Cooper's ligaments. We also talked about the physiology of lactation. So we talked about how uh, this actually begins to start in the early second trimester where secretory material which resembles colostrum begin to appear in the glands. This is known as lactogenesis 1. We also talked about the hormones that are required for lactogenesis, and this includes human placental lactogen, prolactin, chorionic gonadotropin, 
and oxytocin. We also talked about lactogenesis in terms of milk production um, coming in during the first four days postpartum with milk really coming in by day five, which is known as lactogenesis two. And then during the next 10 days, the milk composition changing to mature milk and with supply now being established by demand from the infant. And this is known as lactogenesis three. Perfect. So once again, I'm Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. And remember, where is the baby's favorite place to eat? The restaurant. So if you liked what we have to say on the podcast today, please give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook at Creogs Over Coffee, as well as on Twitter at Creogs Over Coffee One. If you have any suggestions for our podcast or if you have any topics that you'd like for us to discuss, you can email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. And don't forget about the website, www.creogsovercoffee.com, for more resources. 